all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. We are all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard, it's what you make of it, but what if only struggle surrounds you, what can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair, please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through, just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see, you are not alone, you have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know, but if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up, because you got this. Think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Authentic Points of View. I am Danielle Boer, your host, as always. I'm so excited. I know I say that all the time, y'all. But I am very excited today for this guest. Okay, so I love to talk about what I have in common with people. So I'm so excited. And she's from New Zealand, so I don't have that in common with her. But Lorraine Hamilton, she's an author and a coach and a speaker, a former engineer, which is amazing. Girl boss, woohoo. Voracious tea drinker which so was I, which we'll talk about that, and wannabe race car driver, and stand-up comedian, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. So, Lorraine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Danielle. It's so cool to be here. I've been so excited to meet you and and speak to your audience. Thank you. I can't wait, because I really am excited. So, I have three boys and a girl, and my nine-year-old always changes what she wants to be. She's almost 10. And it's normal. But um, I have a couple of friends that are female engineers. So I know that you are not doing that right now. But I really want to start with that because I think that is so awesome. So did you when you were little, did you always want to be an engineer? Or how did you get started in it? Oh, no, it was it was very organic. And, and I'm going to be completely honest with you. So when I was um, I, in my teens and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and what I, where I wanted to go to university, I was a, a like real sort of awkward kid and I was part of the sort of 
the metal head crew, you know, the kind of <laughs> heavy metal crew that yeah. were a little bit off to the side and a little bit weird. And, and, and a lot of my mates played instruments and I was quite musical as a child, but I didn't have the patience to get good at anything. And so um, I was just, how can I fit into this? And so I decided that I was going to be a sound engineer first. So I went to university and I did a degree in sound engineering and it was pretty heavy in electronics as well. So it was heavy in physics and electronics. And then we got to mess about with sound. And, and that was great. And I finished the degree and I did. Um, I went to London. So I'm not originally from New Zealand. If you're any good with accents, then I was in Glasgow in Scotland that's where I'm from cool. so I left university and I went to London and I was doing sound engineering there for a little bit but then I came back it wasn't really working out and um there's just not a lot of um money in sound engineering to be quite honest and I was like no I want to chase the dollar and I fell into telecommunications and I became what's called a radio frequency engineer which is a very fancy term for uh, designing mobile phone networks hmm. and so I was designing mobile phone networks in Scotland for seven years um, before it all came crashing down because I was a female engineer in a male-dominated industry and I have my whole sob story about that um, but yeah that's how I got into it and that's like the first part of the story <laughs> that is so awesome yeah. So, um, oh, my cousin is a, oh boy, what does he do? Um, he had a double major in engineering, but it wasn't sound engineering. It was chemical and something else. He used to make these, like design these plastic things that then he went to China and Dubai a lot before COVID, of course. Yeah. He was in Dubai and China a lot doing that. Um, and he he loves it but again what a good cousin I am I'm like I don't know exactly uh what <laughs> yeah that's sad <laughs> but anyway so um all right now you okay male dominated I understand that so the I this is not where I planned on going but uh, stand-up comedy I just want to ask you because I started it last year and we just had our anniversary but after a little while I couldn't do it I couldn't keep up with it because I started the um, life coaching like certifications for me and so I just couldn't keep up with everything and working and my kid and every it was just too much but I was going three times a week and there are so many men and I don't know how it is where you live um there are so many men in the Atlanta area and that my uh, teacher, the classes that I took for comedy, she actually was on America's Got Talent. She's all awesome. Uh, her name's Lace Larrabee, but she started this this course because she it was female only for a first few years. Yeah. And um, so as where you live is, is it the same? Like, is there, is it male dominated there as well? The comedy or? I was I was very happily surprised that it, it was quite diverse. Oh, so diverse across gender, across sexuality, across mm -hmm. um, race. And that made me really happy, to be honest, because um, that's something that is 
important to me and more and more important. So the more that I uncover and learn about my own bias and the terrain that women are operating within, I have to look inside myself as well at all of that. And so the more that I unpeel my own layers, the, the more passionate I am becoming about um representation so where I learned uh comedy where I and, and the comedy scene in, in Wellington is actually pretty diverse and I think the thing that makes me stand out in my stand-up is <laughs> that I I am um, one of the things that that was really important to me and probably a driving factor behind it other than I just thought it would be terrifying and I do things that terrify me um is that I was looking my husband and I enjoy stand-up comedy immensely and I was trying to find female stand-up comedians that were being given a platform that were not relying on one particular aspect of who they were their sexuality, their size, their physicality, their um, willingness to be overtly sexual or shocking. And there was nothing, I have two teenage daughters and there was, I couldn't find female comics. I have done since, but at the time I was like, where are all the, where are all the opportunities for female comics who don't want to talk about those things, yeah. but are still funny? So I call my comedy quite vanilla and <laughs> um, and I kept saying to my teacher, I was like, oh, I don't think I've got a very strong point of view on this. And he's like, you do and you're relatable. And that's now my track. It's like, that's my goal is to be funny and relatable in a way that doesn't have me relying on these things that I don't want to talk about. And I don't want to use that in order to to get a platform. Um, I mean, I'm from Glasgow in Scotland, so I swear like a trooper. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's as far as I go. So um, a very long answer to a short question. Uh, here in, in Wellington in New Zealand, I feel that there is better representation than what you've described. Awesome. That's really great. I love that. And there's a lot of diversity and culture here I love. Um, and so one time I made fun of the male comedians. I was the only female at open mic that night. And, uh, there was a fantastic impressionist. Fantastic. So I said, I'm so glad that I didn't have to go up after the impressionist. I was going to do my impression of a male comedian and they all go do they're like, <laughs> so I talked about the things that they talk about and it's just sad. And that's what it is. A lot of, um, sexual things. Um, they talk about race a lot. They talk about like all this stuff. And like, and then I joked and said, like, sprinkle some video games. I don't know. I'm just like saying, <laughs> but, um, so it, it became uncomfortable. It's a, a, a lot of the times it was uncomfortable and, then as a female, I don't talk about that stuff. And a lot of the females that are very famous, they are, they're raunchy, they're dirty. They talk about sexuality. You're right. And they're hilarious. They're great. And they're hilarious. And I'm glad that they're confident and they feel good talking about that. But I don't even like to talk about my cycle or like going to the bathroom or anything like that. You know, like I just don't feel, and I'm, I'm a nurse. So it's kind of funny because lots of nurses, they are raunchy. It's so fun. But I'm just, I don't know. And so I agree with you on that. It, 
And plus, when I started my journey, like, of becoming a coach, I, I really wanted to be more like positive and uplifting and think about like good things. And a lot of my comedy was me making fun of myself. And so yeah. I was like, well, that goes against what I'm really trying to do, you know? And so I was like, I was like, well, if one of my patients hears me bashing my, you know, sees me on, I'm not that famous, but you know, saw me on something or whatever, or look, saw my social media and I'm sitting here bashing myself. Or if one of my clients saw that, like, how could I tell them to love themselves and all this stuff? Like, you know, so that's kind of what guided me to take a break as well was that I felt like it wasn't as fun anymore. The funny, like the fun and funny was just like, like kind of got taken away, but that's a little bit about that. So oh, I think also people don't appreciate how much work goes into, you know, five minutes of comedy. I know. <laughs> There's a lot of writing that goes on. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it always makes me, it always makes me laugh actually when people think, oh, you know, you just stand up and it's, it's new stuff every time you speak. I'm like, no, no, there's a lot of writing that goes into that five minutes that you hear. Yeah. I know. And then as time goes, goes on, you kind of can tweak it or change things or like, oh, it would be funnier if I said this or whatever, you know, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I did uh 12 minutes once and I was like, help. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, I'm so silly. Okay. So, all right. Now I watched your video and I love it because it's your, your energy and your joke was hilarious, but, the, <laughs> and it was just funny because, uh, I want to talk about the tea drinking really quick though, because let me ask, I know I see, but let me ask you a question. This is the nurse in me and from the issues I've had since you drink so much tea, have you ever had kidney stones? And I went to the left. No. Okay. No, I've never had kidney stones. That's awesome. So I was getting them uh, often and I had to stop drinking tea. And uh, there's like some calcium, something in the tea that uh, ca can cause kidney stones if you're not well balanced and drink a lot of water. So you obviously, which is amazing. And that's good as a coach, you're well balanced because <laughs> I talked to, I actually talked to a urologist about this and, uh, because I work in a recovery room and I asked him straight up, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm in so much pain. I love tea. What do I do? And he said, as long as you drink more water and flush it out. So that's probably what you're doing. Do you drink a lot of water? Not as much as I should. It's always something that is, it, that's always on my could do better list. Could always <laughs> drink more water. Um, I, I try, but it's, it's definitely a, a challenge. Water has always been a bit of a challenge for me. Um, yeah. So, well then you are blessed because that's really it seems so for that's sure. awesome. So I, um, I used to drink too, but I wasn't drinking hot tea so maybe that's why I was drinking two iced teas unsweetened though a day and it would get to the point where I started having really bad flank pain mm. and so I tried it out so like I stopped drinking it for a while and then I like one day I I said okay I'm gonna start drinking it again I love it 
So I drank it like three days in a row and then the flank pain was back so bad. And I was like, what is happening? So anyway, I just basically stay away from it. But um, that's not the most important thing of all the things you do. But I was like, I want to ask about that because I'm a nurse and I was curious. And you can take the prize for being the podcast host who has never asked me that question before. <laughs> yeah. And probably never, I'll never get that question again. It's probably a very not. Question. It's such a strange it's a very unique question what an odd see like when I talk about authentic self you know if authentically you are tea drinker I wanted to (laughs) I'm just joking (laughs) I'm just being silly okay so um now something else that is gonna help me and actually is really funny so I was interviewing somebody uh the other day and she started talking about she's so awesome she's a mind body coach And so I was having migraines every single day and they were horrible. And so I said to her, like, what do you do, you know, for this, blah, blah, blah. And so she said it was so amazing. She was like, okay, so that's pressure. So do you feel pressure in your life right now? Or are you a people pleaser and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, huh? Like, and so it was so cool. So I want to ask you, how do people stop people pleasing and say yes to what they truly want? And what, how do they know what they want? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's actually the big question is a lot of women in particular don't know what they want. And that is the, the biggest piece of work. So the majority of women that I work with do resonate with that term of people pleasing because they've been conditioned from birth really to become that Uh, that's been the narrative it's like you're there to support other people you're a nurturer you're a mother you're a caregiver you are the support person and you make other people shine and it's not for you to shine it's for you to put other people in front of you and shine so really the most difficult question that I ask my clients is well what do you want they can tell me a hundred things that they don't want right But getting them to narrow down what they do want is where the work is. And so that is that is a a lot of the unlearning that I talk about with with my clients is really peeling back those layers to even get to the point of what is it that you want. So I have a a process that I developed, which uh, mirrors the work that I do with the majority of my clients. And there's seven steps in the process and we don't even talk about creating goals and plans until right bang in the middle of the process because there's so much other work that has to be done for my clients to be able to genuinely and authentically answer that question of what is it that they really want and have it be such a force inside them such a flame inside them that it will outweigh the tendency and desire to please other people first yeah wow and that is very important to I don't think you realize you're a people pleaser until you kind of think about because when she said that now this is going to sound crazy to some people I promise you I was having migraines every single day for weeks like waking up with them crushing it felt like my head was in a vice grip 
And I talked to her. And then all of a sudden, I've had a few spurts of like the pain or whatever, but my head is so much better. Mm. That's amazing. And I think it was just me coming to reality of me thinking like, oh, am I? You know, like, is that really what it is? And then maybe the release of it was like, oh, okay, well, don't do that. You know, <laughs> like, well, I mean, I love using the physical symptoms as indicators of other things that are going on because our bodies are always talking to us. And I love that I'm talking to a nurse about this, right? So our bodies are always talking to us. Um, however, not many of us know how to decode those signals and right. so the way that I describe it is that most people can can recognize like have you ever felt really really stressed like super stressed right and yeah. how does that feel in your body what are the physical symptoms of like really being stressed in your body oh me so yeah <laughs> okay so um maybe like okay my heart will race um, I might get like red, like I'll turn red. Um, my head will pound. Yeah. Um, all kinds of stuff. Like sometimes I get sweaty. Um, yeah. sometimes I feel like overwhelmed, like I can't breathe. So there's yeah. like so many things. Yeah. It's That's super true. scary, right? Yes. Super scary. And then when you're at that point of being super stressed, we have studies that have shown that when you reach that point of stress, your ability to process information is compromised by up to 80%. Wow. So in that moment where you need to have all of your wits about you, you are super compromised. So the way that I work with that with my clients is that all of those symptoms, those scary symptoms of not being able to breathe and the increased heart rate and the pounding head and the grinding teeth and the tension and all of the things that you're feeling are just your body screaming at you that there is something that needs attention. And if we can slow that whole process down and reverse engineer it, then we can pay attention sooner and then you don't get to those scary symptoms. So you know, before you you felt your heart racing, maybe there was something else. Maybe that's when you felt the flush of heat. And maybe before the flush of heat, there was a tingling in your fingers. Or maybe before that, there was something else mm -hmm. that isn't as scary that you can now use. Like the, you know, having had that realization about the migraines. And when you start feeling that feeling in your head, you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe I'm pleasing someone here that I and I'm compromising myself. And then the pain goes away because it's like, oh, you've paid attention. Thanks very much. My job is done. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And and that's that's a fantastic point. But yeah, sometimes you don't know. And that's what I um, work with with my clients, too, is that with trauma, like realizing what your triggers are, you have to know what they are. And once you start like, and that's what I want them to do is physically write down. How do you feel when you're having that trigger? Like, say you're angry. How does that make you feel? Write down all the ways. And so when you get like, like you just said, I agree with that. And it's amazing. And it's actually helped me a lot. Um, I have literally this, me being learning coaching. I have like coached myself and, uh, I worked in a crazy pack. You, I was a travel nurse and, I went into the closet and I counted backwards. I did all these things because I felt myself 
getting upset and I can't get like that. And it wasn't at a, it wasn't at a patient. It was at a, uh, at an employee. And I don't usually get like that, but it was a charge nurse. It was unprofessional. And I was like, whoop, I went in the closet. I counted backwards and I couldn't control it. And I had to tell myself, why are you getting upset over something you can't control? You need to, you know, like, and I just had to like kind of calm myself down because I knew when a couple of those things happened, I was like, oh no, it's going to go worse and worse and worse. Right. And so I think that's amazing that you teach people that. And I love in your video that you said <laughs> that you said that you've been coaching before it was cool. So I didn't <laughs> jump on the bandwagon until it's super cool. Now, <laughs> how long have you been coaching and what is your coaching business called? Or maybe it's just your name. Yeah. Um, so my coaching business is Lorraine Hamilton Coaching. And I also have a training business called Coach School, where I train and certify other coaches. Awesome. Um, this is my 17th year. Wow. I first certified as a professional coach in 2006. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Yeah. You did start before it was cool. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's so funny. I didn't even realize there was coaches. And I was watching this movie from a long time ago. I think early 2000s and they said something about being a life coach and I just watched it a couple months ago and I was like what there was life coaches <laughs> back then yeah it was me <laughs> it was, yeah it probably was you by yourself <laughs> you know you're awesome love that you are like literally that you're just a pioneer and you're just like you know what I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and I think that's such a great influence for all the the females and the women um, or if you identify as a female, whatever, I just think it's great because we need people like you and, um, thank you. You're so welcome. Like, seriously, we need people to look up to, and then more and more young women will be the first to do things as well. And mm -hmm. it's, that's what we need is, is to keep it diverse and for us to, learn and just keep adapting and and saying like you know what I am like my cousin uh is was a male cheerleader and I was like that's so cool Ooh. like you know because he was needed he would support them and make sure they didn't get hurt and hold them up and like that's important so vice versa there's females that I know that are my sister she she doesn't like um her business out on the streets but <laughs> She wanted to be, and she said she's going to be uh, again. Uh, eventually, she's going to do it. But she wanted to be an auto mechanic when she was little. Oh. I was like, I wanted to be a football player. And <laughs> true story, not like soccer football, but like like our soccer, but like a tackle, like American like, football. Yeah. yeah. And um, and my parents told me no, but I'm glad they did because I probably would have broke something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like really upset because I just wanted to play football. I did play soccer, so real football. I played. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's what I call football. That's right. I'm from the home of football. It's, I'm quite precious about football. I know. <laughs> I love it. It's such a fantastic sport. Um, so yes, so I played football. Your football for I don't know, 13 years or something, and so it really helped me in life and it helped me stay disciplined and everything. I really loved it. So, so Danielle, sorry, I know I'm the guest and I'm not supposed to ask questions, but I want to ask you a question. I love so it. So have you been, have you been following Welcome to Wrexham? 
No. Oh, can I tell you about it? Yes. Okay. okay. So there, there is this teeny tiny football team in Wales in the UK okay. that Ryan Reynolds yes. and, and Rob McElhenney bought, or they, they are okay. the chairman. And it's flying. And they made a documentary called Welcome to Wrexham. And it's brilliant. They've just been promoted into the next league and they're they're just doing amazingly well. And it's it's totally galvanized the entire town. And it's Aww. such a fairy tale Hollywood football love story. And it's fabulous. So welcome to Wrexham. Go and check it out. It's brilliant. And uh, it's just what a, what a cool combination those two things are. Oh, that is awesome. Yes, I see ryan reynolds posting stuff all the time about the team that is so amazing i really love that and it's such a, a beautiful thing to support uh and again we say football american football but soccer is everybody in the world but us calls it football so <laughs> like we are the only ones i think Let's say the oh, yeah, I live in New Zealand now and they call it soccer here. They do? And I can't keep I can't keep my mouth shut. I have to correct them every single time. It's football. Football. You know, you know what's funny? I didn't tell you this, but my uncle from marriage is from Scotland. His daughters still live there. And he he cussed a lot too. Well, he does cuss a lot. I haven't seen him in a few years. But it's so funny because he would get in, um, I don't want to say arguments with our family, but it's very well spoken. We call it banter. There's no, there's no animosity. It's fun. It's like wordplay. (laughs) Reminds me of being at my grandma's and like hearing him say, no, it's not. (laughs) It's so funny. Yeah. I wish I haven't seen them in a long time. So my grandma passed away. But before that, um, now he was, he's an engineer, but like an oil engineer. So he was gone in a lot of countries too, a lot. So when my aunt would come and visit, then he sometimes wasn't there because he would be out of the country or he would go see his kids in Scotland or whatever. So um, I haven't seen him in a long time, but it was fun being around him. He is hilarious. He's, He's a great, great time. So, all right. With your your coaching has it developed over the years well you said you started Mm. teaching coaches what is part of the program or how can somebody actually join to become a coach and what kind of coaches do you uh do you coach (laughs) just joking yeah yeah great questions so absolutely it's evolved over time so um a lot of and, and I'm not sure how many of the schools have kept up with the developments. Um, When I first trained, it was very much a transactional type of coaching. And I came into coaching having discovered the GROW model, which was this model that's still used today. It's used in a lot of organizations today, Um, but it's, it's very basic and transactional of you have a goal what is your current reality? What options do you have? And when are you going to take those options? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take any of the somatics into account. It doesn't deal with the emotional side of what comes into coaching in most of my work now. So 
I wanted to train coaches in a way that really reflects what we're seeing in coaching practices now. So that being trauma-informed and dealing with multiple facets of our being, not just dealing with the mental facet, that cognitive um, facet. So I have a, a, a certification that I co-teach with my friend and colleague, um, called Natalie McNeil and we our company for that certification is called Coaching Evolved and we train our coaches to be not only certified professional coaches but also transformational embodiment facilitators so that they can facilitate tools and modalities like NLP for coaching and emotional freedom technique for coaching and breath work for coaching um, it's a, a full certification and I love being part of that. I also developed a, a coaching model that I call Switch about five years ago that I've recently updated to reflect, again, what I'm seeing in my coaching and how my coaching has developed and the fact that it is far less transactional now and far more transformational for the individual who is receiving the coaching. And I've developed that program as a much shorter program for managers, leaders, healers, teachers, consultants, people who want to bring coaching into their existing skills and expertise and other coaches who just want um, a different flavor of coaching, something that is, I find to be much faster towards transformation for my client and much less reliant on me being their accountability buddy. I want to be, I want to be the, the um, I want to be holding the belay rope at the bottom of the cliff. I don't, and I'm, I'm holding on to my client as they climb the cliff. So I'm their support. So that program is, is my coaching switch. I call it. And that's that's more developed for people who don't necessarily want to be full time professional coaches and go and get their credentials. Um, but they really want to understand coaching in a very transformational way. Oh, yeah. I like that. That sounds really good. Actually, I'm like, I like both of the programs. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, I think that's amazing. And I've talked to so many coaches and interviewed them that they changed their life from getting certified. Like it's like a transformation that you do yourself. You embody it to be able to, you know, genuinely help somebody else. Like I got certified in forgiveness um, mm -hmm. coaching. So, and I, it helped me so much. And so I would just like literally just talk to people about it and not even, I'm not even trying to get money from them. I'm just, I really want to genuinely help. So like another nurse was saying something about her mother-in-law and this, this and that. And I was like, I said, listen, I said, you have to forgive her. Ah, oh, she did this and that. I said, I understand. I said, but you have to forgive her for yourself. And I said, well, how's that fair to your kids? And she said, oh, the kids hate it. And I said, well, there you go. You know, and so stuff like that. And um, with mine, I had to forgive myself, too, uh, because I've had a lot of situations where, you know, my brother, I, you probably don't know this about me, but the audience does. Uh, my brother um, committed suicide and I witnessed it on the telephone. 
And so um, that was really hard. And there was a lot of guilt. Uh, yeah. And so I had to forgive myself for that. I had to forgive him as well because I was I was angry too and I was mm. felt guilty so you know so that process was very emotional and very rewarding for me and so I'm so passionate about it because I know that it changed me and I there's still things I need to forgive in people and uh I was in an abusive relationship and so well a couple but the one is the hardest one to uh forgive all the way so you know it's always I think everything is always the process. The good thing is when you build what you built, the people, the, the clients know how to come back and say something happens again. They can use your, your process and say, okay, well, this issue happened, but let me fix myself now. So they have the tools. How exactly. Do you yeah. Exactly. It's, it's that I don't want to be a crutch for my clients. I, right. I have my philosophy is to make myself redundant as quickly as possible to truly empower my client, not just give them a solution to something or some advice that they're going to come back to. One thing that I really love what you said there, Danielle, is that, you know, you learn something and then you embody it and then you apply it in your life. And that is exactly what happened. I mentioned that I told you part one of the engineering story, part two came after I certified as a coach. So I left engineering and I, and I don't want to give your audience any, uh, I don't want to misrepresent what happened. I had a, a, a manager who didn't know how to work with a female engineer. Mm. He was not a bully manager. I think people think that there was some sort of animosity or there was some sort of breakdown and I was bullied. I wasn't bullied. I was put in an environment that was set up for me to fail because mm. he didn't know how to create an environment for me to succeed. So it didn't matter how hard I worked, what I did. I was never going to be as easy as the boys. I was never going to be the same as the boys so I was always going to be the one that got the least opportunities that is what happened it wasn't like I was forced out or managed out I guess I was but it was more down to his lack of understanding of what he needed to do as a leader so I left in that time I had two kids and I became a professional coach and then we moved to New Zealand and I came to New Zealand and I was like, well, I should probably get a job so that I could start to get to know people rather than just continue my business, which was kind of in isolation. And lo and behold, there was an engineering op opportunity that I was well qualified for. And I was nervous about it, but I applied for that role. And it was a six month contract that lasted seven years because I went in with everything that I had learned from coaching and I transformed that organization from the inside out. And we created an award-winning culture across the whole organization from inside the engineering team, which is unheard of, you know, wow. it's totally unheard of. Um, and the only reason that I'm not there now is because I had continued the coaching business as well. And both 
the roles were just getting too big and I had to pick one and coaching's my calling. So that was always going to win. Um, so yeah, I love that you said that because it, and I love that I had that full circle experience and being able to come back and leave engineering in a, on a really high note, as opposed to the way that I had exited earlier. So it was quite poetic and it's certainly a, a big part of who I am and my passion for supporting women in tech and just tech leadership. Wow. That's beautiful. And I, I, I absolutely love that. I love full circle moments and it's a lot of the stuff helps me in nursing as well. And I can apply it to that career. Uh, and that's actually my goal is to become a full-time coach. Eventually I'm going to talk to you eventually too, <laughs> but, um, okay. it's become a full-time coach and speaker and all that stuff. And I'm a co-author actually with a lot of, um, authors from England and that book is coming out. I think they said now it's getting published June 25th, maybe. But anyway, so that's exciting. What are, um, how many books have you written? And can you just tell us about maybe the most recent one? Yeah, sure. So I'm a co-author on one. I've written two others. Awesome. Um, and then there's another one that's bubbling away in the back of my head, but that'll <laughs> take a while to birth. Uh, so the most recent one I wrote during the pandemic. And funnily enough, I was on social media this morning before I hopped on this call with you, Danielle. And uh, the podcast that birthed that book popped up on my memories from three years Aww. ago. And I had been interviewed on a, a podcast by Monica Ferguson, and we'd been talking all about fear. And I had explained to her about how when I was a teenager, I dyed my hair bright pink, but it wasn't, it actually wasn't for attention. It was kind of like, it was a, a, a defense mechanism because I was kind of like scared of everything. And I was just like, if I look a little bit crazy, then people will leave me alone. <laughs> and, and that was kind of why I did it. And, and of course, now, if you're listening, you can't see it, but my hair is multicolored and, and it, it has been for many, many, many years. But now it's more a reflection of me on the inside on the outside that's kind of what it is to me but people now recognize me people hire me because of my hair because it Aww. says to them that I'm not afraid of being me and that's what they want to be and so anyway uh, we were discussing all of this on this podcast and um as many podcast hosts do and I'm sure that you will th there's that final question and the final question was what is the advice that you would give your younger self and um, and I said, dye your hair purple sooner was my advice to my younger self. And so Monica said, oh, that's the title of your next book. And, and I went, ah, oh, okay then. And then I, I didn't have a book in the offing, but I had a title now. So I had to write the book. So I wrote the book. Um, and the book is, is about feeling uncomfortable and being able to lean into that discomfort to get through the other side and become who you really want to be and, and be that embodiment of your values and what's most important to you. Oh, that. that's so beautiful. And I love that I can actually see your book. And now I know what that means. Cause I was going to say, what does that mean? But it's your book title. And I also love that you had a title first. <laughs> I interviewed this young girl. Oh my gosh. She's amazing. Uh, really, really quick. So she became deaf at four years old 
and wow. literally tragically one day just like boop, became deaf and so she wrote a book and I thought she like went through a publisher she was in Canada and she said no she self-published a book and I was like at 20 something years old like wow you go girl and so she said that she came up she wrote the whole book, but she didn't have a title. And I said, well, I've got lots of titles, but I don't have any fun. Well, it kind of makes sense if you write it first, because then that's the last step is just the title. No, but I do have um, my actually my new podcast is I'm going to write a book titled that. And uh, it's called Turning Trauma to Triumph. So I'm oh, I love that. Well, thank you. It's just a title right now. There's, <laughs> there's but hey, one. that's where it starts. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, it makes more sense if it's into uh triumph, but I like the four T's. So I'm I didn't <laughs> I'm just gonna I title it whatever, but I love the name of that and I love what it says, and again, it's a great example for young people to say hey be yourself be authentic love yourself and it's such a great message because we worry about what everybody thinks all the time I mean not everybody sorry a lot of us have worried about what other people think and then it gets to the point where like we said earlier well what do we think or what do we love or what do we like or what do we want and it's, that's not a fun way to live. I lived like that for a long time and uh, it makes you miserable and sad and you just lose, you can lose yourself. Yeah. I, but it's, it's something that we're still learning to come out of because it hasn't been that long. And this is, it still happens for some women in some parts of the world, but historically women have only very recently being able to think for themselves and not their survival not be reliant on what other people think of them right so you know up until very recently women could not hold lines of credit they couldn't own property they couldn't have a bank account you know they weren't allowed to drive they weren't allowed to learn they were so this is not in, in our whole history it's actually very recently that we've had some of the freedoms that we have now and in order for us to survive we had to appease those who were in power and I think this is the origin of a lot of that comparison behavior that we still see and that is so damaging and how women can compete with each other ferociously even if it's just internally rather than being that collaborative force because we know when we bring women together they are a, a collaborative force that cannot be beaten but that's not fully across as all yet and we're still dealing with the fact that we receive far more personal feedback than than men do we get feedback on our appearance and our personality rather than our performance um you know we get a lot of sexualized feedback it's we're still coming through that so it's not just as simple as going well logically I know that I don't need to compare myself to other people yeah I think a lot of it is a lot more deeply ingrained that needs 
more healing and, and more understanding. And I talk about understanding the terrain and understanding the, the territory that we're actually operating in because it is nuanced. And, and when we do understand that, then it empowers us to behave in the way that we want to and not the way that we maybe have been up until now. Well, yeah, that that is a fantastic point. You're absolutely right. And lots of countries listen to this podcast, which I'm very, very thankful for. Uh, but there are some women and sometimes I in the United States where I am, we kind of may maybe forget about those things that we are not the only people <laughs> in the world. Right. And so um there's so many countries now to this day where women still don't have rights and it is so sad and there's so many trailblazers and amazing women that are stepping up even in different countries and speaking and having that voice and it's it's such a beautiful thing and I'm so proud of them because it takes a lot of courage to so be brave. It is so brave because so many things can happen to, I mean, even sometimes penalty, I, I don't know, don't quote me on this could be death or, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And so, and it's sad. That's very, that's heart, very heartbreaking, but those women are so strong and brave and they are really standing up for every woman uh, all around the world. And I just think that is fantastic. So I cannot end this interview without asking about the race car driving thing i did not skip it i really want to know um what motivated you to learn race car driving and when did you start um so i've been into cars for as long as i can remember and i don't know where it came from because my family <laughs> were not big car people uh -huh. or yeah we just weren't i i saw i i quite truthfully share I think it's because I sat as a child and I watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang over and over and over and over again until the tape wore out um and that's the only thing that I can tie it down to but I have had a fascination with cars for as long as I can remember and when I was in primary school my friends would go on holiday and they would you know you, you used to have the old cameras with the film and you only yeah. had like 24 photos for your whole holiday and you had to go and get them developed my friends would use one of their precious photographs if they saw a cool car when they were on holiday and take a photograph of it and bring it back for me oh. um because they knew that I was into cars so much so I don't know where it's come from but I've always loved cars my first car was a classic mg midget um convertible little two-seater thing rear wheel drive that could race up hills and I've just always loved them so um the the driving fast I is just something that again is is I race against myself so again it's about being the best driver that I can be getting the most out of the car that I can get and I was fortunate enough that my business was doing very well and so I was able to buy a car that is taken is, is is good for that kind of driving so I have this little hot hatch um Honda Civic Type R that I take up to the track and I whip it around the track and um, and I just get better and tighten my corners and I'm a huge Formula One fan and yeah I just have a, a fascination for it so 
um, yeah, I just keep on driving. So I've been I've been doing the track driving for a couple of years with this car. I have another couple of cars in the driveway, different cars that I just think are beautiful and um, that I've loved. Uh, but the fascination with cars continues. Oh, so I'm not really into racing like that, but I was excited. So we went to D Daytona Beach, Florida, and yeah. the um, so the Daytona 500 that's a big deal right that's a big race so I was excited and we bought the experience package and so my fiance and I were gonna be able to sit in the car and they were gonna drive us around I think it's like even one lap I didn't care I was excited so when we went they were closed that day so we didn't do it oh no because I was like I think I would have been very dizzy, but it would have been cool as to just say, like, I got to sit in, in a race car and go around, you know, um, but we can do it again. Come sometime. to New Zealand, Danielle. I'll take you out in mine. <laughs> sure. Okay. It's funny that you say, I, 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 at the risk of dating the recording of this podcast, I'm actually going to jump off this podcast and I'm going to go and watch the, the second practice of the Miami Grand Prix, which is happening as soon as we hop off this podcast. So Miami Grand Prix is happening this weekend for you. <laughs> oh, cool. I didn't know that. That's so awesome. Well, that is cool. So I, when I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings, people would watch all the sports and there was this one family that would come in and watch all the racing things. So we would have that on the television and I would look at them like, that's cool. And my ex-father-in-law is into, um, into racing as well. I don't have anything against it. I just never, you know, like understood. I, yeah. You, you know, it's just something it's, it's either your thing or it's not your thing. And that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I think that's so cool that it's your thing though. That is cool. <laughs> uh, so you are so well-rounded, like amazingly well-rounded. It is just amazing. You can do so many different things and you have so like many talents and, and like fixtures and things to your personality. It's just awesome. And you have wonderful energy and I, I'm so glad I got to talk to you. So what advice do you have for women or girls um that they are not living their authentic self they're kind of just living for other people or what they think they should do um oh that's a big question <laughs> i think recognizing it recognizing that that feeling that discomfort that they're feeling that they're not that they've just got a sense that they're not living their true purpose or calling and not ignoring it like paying attention to it and saying there's nothing wrong with you that is that that flicker of light that can become the flame that allows you to become that well-rounded person and and that that you know that was very um humbling to hear you describe me that way but it hasn't always been that way right. and it is just allowing myself to fan that flame and and do the work that is sometimes confronting and challenging but on the other side of it wow what a life there is so don't ignore that feeling and fan the flames and find someone who can help you be your Beely rope holder 
um, through the process as, as you discover what what you your interests, what your facets of who you are are going to be. Yeah. Wow. That's great advice. Thank you so much again. I think you are so awesome and amazing. And I love that you said that because where we are now, that's not where we started usually, right? So just because I see you as this confident, like, well-rounded person, but you said it, that's not where I was, but that's a great point for everyone that coaching, getting a coach is also important too, because it helps you get to that point. And even if you go through the program, I'm telling you, becoming a coach has changed me. And I don't even have that many clients yet. I'm just being honest. Yeah. Um, just going through the process of it has changed my point of view and my um, perspective and the way that I look at people and the way that I treat myself and other people. And so it's really important. But where can we find you? What social media or a website do you have or anything like that? Yeah, thank you for, for asking. So I am LorraineHamilton.net. I'm sure we can put links around. Yeah, there. I will. I will. The, the podcast and that's where you can find out about me if you're interested in the coaching certification with the transformational embodiment that is coachingevolve.co uh, but you can find out about me and my work and connect with me through Lorraine Hamilton I'm on Facebook LinkedIn um, YouTube Instagram I don't do TikTok because I don't <laughs> dance in front of the camera yet uh, but yeah, I'm fairly easy to find and I'm the one with purple hair. <laughs> Yay. I love that. Uh, I think it's amazing and it's beautiful and you are beautiful. Your soul is beautiful. You just seem like a really fantastic person. I would love to come to New Zealand one day. I will take you up on that. Uh, the car. <laughs> That's, I, it's a, I like, Who is this lady and why, why does she want to get in my car? <laughs> it's it's less strange than you think <laughs> okay well thank you Lorraine I know you have the race to watch um, I have to but, go and watch Formula One <laughs> that's right well thank you so much again for sharing your knowledge and experience with everyone I really am so glad that I met you and I hope you have a fantastic day and enjoy the race thank you so much Danielle you're welcome bye Oh my goodness, how fun is she? So eventually, this is just me being transparent and honest. Eventually, I want to post that YouTube episode of her, of Lorraine Hamilton, because her hair is so awesome, but she's going to post clips. So follow um, my social media, Authentic Points of View podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and then you can check it out and see how pretty. I mean, she's beautiful. And not that it's all about appearance, which was what she talked about. But she really is just a beautiful person. And her hair is so awesome. And I love the title of her book. Cool. Um, so that's so neat. I'm glad I kind of snuck the race driving thing in there because it's a really cool thing. And I love having stuff in common with people. She's from Scotland and she lives in New Zealand. And... I haven't been to either place, but we have stuff in common. So it's just awesome. And I've had stuff in common with people, even male from Australia, uh, people from all over. 
So thank you everybody for listening. And um, I'm behind on YouTube episodes. So when this becomes on YouTube, thank you for watching. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening to all of my guests' authentic points of view. It means the world to me. I love you guys. Um, I really appreciate you. And I love what I do. I love, love, love the podcast. So you just heard me say, and I think I talked about it before, the new podcast will be airing soon. And like few weeks soon and I'm really excited about it so I hope you listen to it this one is going to become a once a month live and I will tell you the date of the next one during the live of that month the plan right now is that for the lives will be the last Wednesday of the month so that's easy to figure out the last Wednesday of the month the first live is may 31st because that happens to be the last wednesday of may so and june i can't remember maybe 28th then july 26th i believe so every last wednesday of the month will be a live um episode i will tell you how to find it uh before or probably by the last episode of season two so the last episode of season two is in a few weeks i am so excited about that and then season three will start the lives that's what we're gonna do so i don't know what season four will be but season three will be lives once a month so you can interact with me and the guest you can comment it's gonna be cool Again, thank you so much. I love you guys. If you want a certain guest on or a certain topic, authenticpointsofview at gmail.com. Please follow me. Please follow my coaching, Authentic Points of View coaching. Um, thanks again. And I will talk to you next Wednesday. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Authentic Points of View podcast. I hope that something you heard today changes your point of view. If you would like to share your views, please email me at authenticpointsofview at gmail.com or leave a comment on Facebook at Authentic Points of View Podcast. Remember, always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart. listening to authentic points of view podcast i hope that something you heard today changes your point of view if you would like to share your views please email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or leave a comment on facebook at authentic points of view podcast remember always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart